Well, guys, today I want to actually um, talk a little bit about names. And, um, and I want to talk um, kind of like what they mean and how that kind of fits in. So, I don't know if you guys noticed, did you notice I've got a pretty weird name? That when anyone heard Noddy, did people think like, who is this Noddy guy coming in? Seriously, is that actually what they called him? No? None of you thought that? Yes, awesome. I won. Awesome. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah, Never heard that, but okay, good. Um, so my name. So yeah, no, I just wanted to check the mic is on. Yeah. It's on. Yeah. I believe so. So my um my na- real name is not Donnie, right? So you need to realise that my dad was Indian and my mum's got Burmese, Sicilian, English, and Irish in her. So she's total mixer, and he's you know high caste India. So you'd think when the eldest child was born, you know they'd get a traditional name. So I have an older sister. And when she was born, she got given Jeanette Olivia Ruth. Three very normal, you know, names. And then when I was born, my dad thought it would be good to actually name me something completely different. And he started calling me, or named me Dion. Now, I didn't, I can't even say it properly. I don't even know what I'm saying properly. But my sister couldn't say Binot, right? So she started calling me Bin, which turned to Vinnie, which turned to Winnie, which turned to Winnie the Pooh, which then just got shortened to Pooh. <laughs> now, I'm brown. <laughs> my mum thought it's not good for my brown son to be called Pooh. And I think that's a wise decision to make. You know, because it's not. I mean, Pooh's not a great name anyway. And when you're brown, it's even worse. So, my mum said to my sister, you have to go back to the drawing board. And the last three letters of Vinod is Nod. And Nod turned into Noddy. And unlike the poo, it's stuck. And I couldn't get rid of it. So Noddy is how I've been. I mean, I tried during high school. I thought, oh, I'll go back to a different name. My, my middle name is Nathaniel. So I tried to actually go in and I was Nate, Nathaniel for a while. Then someone saw Vinod and that turned into Vinny. And then literally within about two months of starting high school, someone started calling me Nod. And then that went to Noddy and everyone started calling me Noddy. I was like, that is so weird. I can't seem to outrun this name, you know? And as a grown man now, it's kind of really weird to be called Noddy. And you get some pretty funny reactions from people, you know? Uh, and some people don't even blink. Right? So I happened to be on Channel 7 this week, and I was on The Morning Show. And I had Larry and Kylie interviewing me, and it was my third time this year I've been on there. They've never asked about my name and never once blinked. They just, oh, Noddy, it's great to see you. And I swear, every time they do it and they talk to me, I think to myself, I wonder how many people are watching this, you know? Mums at home, thinking to themselves, who the heck is Noddy? And what sort of irresponsible parent named their child that? Like, it's a, it's a ridiculous name, right? But do you know, isn't it funny that a name can be something that can just kind of grow on you? By the way, can we still all be friends now that you know that Noddy's not my real name, it's a nickname? Are you, I feel, I'm feeling a bit of judgement. Are you judging me about my name? No, we're, we're all okay? My conspiracy was correct. Your conspiracy was correct. At least my name doesn't mean warrior. <laughs> so here's the funniest part about my name. After complaining for ages about my name, my mum would always say, Hey, 
No, it's okay because it's a strong name. I, I think it means victory. Your name means victory, and that's that's like strong. You know, a few years back, we're having this family gathering, and so every week, my mum invites all the family. We all get together. She cooks, you know, a massive meal, and we all get to enjoy it. It's, it's great. You know, there's a lot of banter that happens in our family. A lot of stuff going backwards and forwards constantly. We're sitting there at this meal table, and she turns to me. She goes, "Oh, by the way, God," I said, "Yeah." She goes. I think that I've been telling your name means something it doesn't mean. I said, what do you mean? She goes, no, I don't think it means victory. I said, oh, well, what does it mean? Wait for it. She announces to the entire extended family, I think your name means blossoming flower. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't mean blossoming flower. It does mean victory. And she, uh, you know, but she, everyone thought it was hilarious in the room. But isn't it funny? The point is, is that there is... Meaning in names, and names can actually be important. And you can step into them, and you can try and run from certain things, and sometimes you just can't escape it. And you know, my name's a little bit of fun, but it doesn't define who I am, the one who made me does. You may love your name, hate your name, it doesn't matter. Because <laughs> actually your name stems from the lips of God. Just like I said the other night. His name is on your lips. It's not necessarily your physical name, it's the name that he assigns to you. It's what he thinks about you, it's, it's who he calls you out to be. And that is a game changer. And the thing for me is what I want to camp on in my mind. I mean, there's lots of names in the Bible for God, right? In fact, there's kind of 12 Old Testament names. And no doubt you guys will be able to pronounce them better than I can. But they all mean something, and they all kind of talk to a particular thing. And, uh, and I, I want to talk about one of them this morning. I want to talk about the name Yahweh. So Yahweh is, is an amazing name for God. Right? And a few years back, a, a pastor called Rob Bell came out, and he was speaking about Yahweh and the names of God. And he said, well, when it comes back to the Hebrew sound for Yahweh, the, the interesting thing about it is that they're, they're all um, vowels. You can't actually pronounce them. When you put them all together, there's no consonants in there to be able to try and get a real sound. He said, if you go back to the Hebrew, the, the real way that it's almost pronounced is this guttural, almost breath sound. It's the sound of breathing. I, I thought that was really cool when I heard that for the first time. That God goes by a name that can't actually even be pronounced, but instead it is the sound of breathing. And that every time one of us inhales, exhales, we are saying the name of God. That is cool. Because every person on the planet, whether they realise it or not, are breathing in and out the name of their Creator. And I want to tell you this, that what that reminds me of is that God is a God who absolutely pursues every one of us. He puts fingerprints, his own fingerprints, his own DNA over every single one of us. And whether we realise it or not, it's there. And part of the journey in life is to find where those fingerprints are in your own life and in the lives of others and actually call out. Call it out into this presence of God to be able to do amazing things. You know, a few years back, I travelled to Jordan and, um, and it was an awesome experience. Loved it. Spent the night in the tent with some Bedouins, you know, laughed at the fact that they still WhatsApp each other. You know, we're the best place to take their sheep over the next day. Thought that was pretty funny. You know, laughed. One of my friends got bitten by a scorpion on his foot 
and, uh, and one of the guys, the son of this leader in the tent, pulls out a cigarette lighter, you know, and starts using cold gas on where the scorpion had bitten him. Who knew that was a medical thing to do? I, I didn't. I'm pretty sure it didn't work, but it was very funny. <laughs> you know, at the end of that whole trip, it was amazing. And we went to, uh, we went to Petra. Have you guys been to Petra? Anyone been to Petra? Anyone else? It's, it's incredible, right? It's like known as one of the seven wonders of the world. And, uh, and it's amazing as you walk through and down this big ravine. It's quite hot, <laughs> you know, uh, for all the time of year we were there, it was quite hot. And, um, and we, we went on this kind of tour guide. Well, I had this tour guide that came along and was explaining some of the history of it, an amazing history. And he gets to this one particular spot and we stop and there is this statue. And the statue is like this head. And it doesn't have eyes and it doesn't have ears and it doesn't have a mouth. It's just kind of formless, but you can tell it's a head. And I asked, I said, hey, what, what is that? And they said, oh, this is a, a representation of God. That it's, it's a picture that the people actually built to say, this is God, but he, he doesn't have ears, he doesn't have eyes, and he doesn't have a mouth. And, uh, and I, I was sitting there looking at it, and I'm thinking, myself, Re- really, what that is saying is that they were representing a God who can't hear us, that can't see us, and won't speak to us. And I thought, I, I don't think you could ever find a more inaccurate description of God than that. Because God is a God who hears us. He is absolutely a God that sees us. And he is a God that wants to speak to us. You know, I remember leaving that place and I had this incredible discussion with, uh, with an Arab friend of mine who was talking about that. He was we were kind of throwing it around about what do we know of God and and one of the things that came out was, was this amazing, almost African problem. And, and the Africans have this incredible way of often thinking about life and often thinking about how God interacts with people. And one of the things that they talk about is the fact that sometimes we think that we, as people of a hunter, trying to hunt God who is the lion. We're, we're stalking him. We're, we're trying to find him. We're, we're going through the reeds. We're, we're trying to look for his footprints and we're trying to you know, detect where he is and, and all the time we need to catch him. And, and they say, but actually we're wrong because we're not the hunters, the lion is the hunter. Yeah. God knows exactly where the hunter, the person is at all times. You know, way before they even got there. And they're just waiting for that exact moment to pounce on them. And you know, I find that picture really helpful. That God is a God who is quite dangerous but actually actively pursues us. That is that Yahweh, that breath of God, that breath that is in your lungs. That is this picture of a God who pursues his people. He longs for a relationship. He doesn't just leave you in the wilderness. He doesn't just leave you where you're at. He pursues you. He chases after you. Because he knows your name. And it's on his lips. It's in his heart. It's on his mind. And he wants to speak it over you. So that has been my experience in life, I have to tell you. I have spent the majority of my life trying to run from God. Um, I need to be incredibly disappointed at first and then really thankful that God pursued me and he grabbed my life. So when I was uh, nine years old, my dad died of cancer and he battled with it for just over four and a half years. And you need to understand that my dad in my life, he was like my Superman. 
Right, so he was six foot tall, broad shouldered. I know, I'm, what happened to me, you're asking? My mum's four foot eleven. Right? Four foot eleven. Do you live in mate five foot? Wise woman though, just very short. So I'm kind of somewhere in between. But he was, uh, he was an amazing guy. Uh, I grew up in the Highlands of Papua New Guinea. And so it was really, it's a, quite a violent tribal space. And so by the time I was nine, I think we'd been broken into 11 times. We had people coming into our home, stealing stuff, you know. And my dad was always the one, you'd hear the dog barking, he'd get up and he'd chase the robber out. It was like amazing. By the time he died, you know, he went from being this mountain of a man, you know, kind of like built 100 kilos, six foot tall, to 49 kilos. And uh, cancer had just eaten away his body. So much so that his, his eyelids didn't have enough flesh on them to be able to close when he slept in his last days and his eyes would just roll back into his head. You know, he could barely speak, not enough strength. And it was just, it was heartbreaking to watch my Superman disappeared before my eyes. And in actual fact, I think that I felt joy the minute he went because I didn't want him to keep suffering. But what it did to me as a nine-year-old was it made me grow up really quickly. And before my dad died, he wrote me a letter. And in it, he wrote all his dreams, his plans, his visions for my life. And he, he just laid it out. He said, here it is. And um, one of those was that I would be a person who would know God and follow him and honor him with my life. I hated that because I refused to believe in a God. In fact, not I didn't believe in him, it's that I didn't want to know a God that would take away my dad, that would put our family through so much pain, that would leave my mum with two young kids with nothing. I, I didn't want to know a God that would do that. Like, what God is capable of that? And why would I devote my life to him. So I actively went the other way. I decided anything of God I'm not anything to do with. And in fact, I'm going to almost follow instincts that are completely foreign to me. Nothing that I was brought up with. None of my family values, none of it. So when we moved back to Australia, I was horrible. I decided I'm going to really just kind of spit at God and be the worst version of myself I could be. So I started stealing, I started lying, I got into heaps of fights. By the time I was in high school, I joined a gang, I started dealing drugs and weapons. It was, it was stupid and it was really, really hurtful to my family and my mum. In fact, she kind of turned a blind eye to me because she didn't want to know. And it was absolutely crazy. So I had this guy in this gang that I was in, his name was John, and he, the dude is enormous, right? He's also about six foot, but I'm not kidding you, he is literally two of me wide. He's a Tongan dude. He's just an enormous human being. And um, every time we got into fights, like, and we get into a lot of fights, you know, so I think uh, in the last year that I was in it, we are in over 90 fights that year. And every time I was in a fight and I was getting absolutely pummeled, and literally, you know, someone was bending me in half, John would appear out of nowhere and he would just rescue me, he would save me. And it was always crazy. I always looked at him and thought he was almost like my guardian angel. He was almost like this person that God had specifically put right there that, to, to stop me from getting really badly hurt. So you kind of 
fast forward, I was in there for quite some time. By the time I got out, I was um, I was almost 18. And uh, I got out because things were just going from bad to worse. I'd, I'd lost some friends, someone had been shot. You know, uh, things were just not going well at all. And there was kind of three gangs, you know, Asian triads, Lager Fruit Mafia, and ours that were all kind of in this war. It was a bit bizarre. Um, and I had had a deal that had gone bad and I was kind of stuck in the middle of it. And all of them, I knew lots of people from the same ones and they were all kind of blaming me. And there was this moment where literally I thought, if I don't get out, I'm, I'm dead. So I went to John in fear and trepidation because once you kind of in, you don't get out. And I said, um, I need to leave. And he looked at me and he said, that's the best news I've heard since you came. And I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, because there's always been something about you that I felt I needed to protect. And he gave me his blessing and basically gave me cover to leave. So I went to hiding for 12 months. I did nothing but weights and sit around at home. And it was horrific. Because I don't know if you noticed, but I'm a people person. I like people. And so to kind of be with no one, except my sister, whose favorite pastime was to terrorize me as from all through my childhood and just tease me as much as she could, was floating around doing that at the same time. So it was like a year of pain. But uh, it was really strange because in that year, my sister, went to this crusade thing, and she goes down the front with this invitation to her life to go. She goes down the front, she gives her life to go. And you need to understand, my sister, if I was gonna describe her, like she's an amazing person, but back then, cold, heartless, not interested in God, only interested in herself and her friends, you know? And so the very fact that she responded to something and went down the front to kind of give her life to God was ridiculously crazy, but she does. And then she meets this guy down the front there. And I don't know what went off in her head to this day. I don't know whether she was being mean to this person or whether it was a God moment. But she said to this guy that she'd met, who was this Christian guy down the front, praying for people, hey, you know what? I think my brother would really like you. You should come and meet him. And so this guy goes, oh, okay, I will. He goes, oh, well, here's his name and address. You should go and actually knock on the door. So... That night, at probably about 11.30 at night, I got a knock on the door. And I opened the door, and there is this scrawny, skinny, white dude with red hair holding this Bible, this study Bible, like a total geek, standing at my door. And I opened the door, and I looked at him, and I didn't know whether to fold him in half or let him in. And then he made it worse by saying, Hi, I'm Marcus, and this is my new study Bible with an NIV number of 567, 460. And everything that Jesus said is written in red. And I was like, kill me now. <laughs> so I let him in, and I thought to myself, I'm just going to have some fun with this guy. So I was so mean to him. I was intimidating, I was rude, I was swearing at him, thinking to myself, I'm, I'm going to turn him off, I'm going to put him off massively, and he's going to run. And Nothing I said posed him. Kept a smile on his face, he just kept going, he just kept chatting to me, kept asking lots of questions. I was very cagey. And then finally I basically kicked him out after an hour and said, right, you're, you're out. Next day he rocks up again. All right, so we went over again. I was as mean as I could be. Next day he comes again. And he just kept turning up. And it was irritating. Because I should have been able to intimidate him and I couldn't. And it was so strange, I had this realisation, this moment, as he kept kind of bringing me into his friends and his 
circle of people who weren't my usual people I'd hang out with, but gee, they were nothing but lovely. I realised that all I could see in them were the fingerprints of God. And I knew I wanted it in my life. Because the thing that I had also been doing is I'd been running from God. And while I felt like I was tough and strong and protective, I was actually incredibly scared. I was scared to be vulnerable. I was scared to face the hurt that I'd gone through. I was scared to face God and actually hear what he had to say. I was scared of everything. That's why I kind of put that game around around me. And here were a group of honky white boys, red hair, scrawny, scraggly, who literally had every reason to be scared. And there was not one scary to feel in their life at all. And that's why I mean when I saw the fingertips of God. And after about three months of hanging out with them, I said, whatever they've got, I want that. And I remember just being broken on the floor in front of God and just saying, I'm done running. I'm done. Here I am. What do you need? And it was this incredibly life-changing period. It didn't happen in a moment. It wasn't like I made this prayer and all of a sudden, boom, I changed. No, it was this gradual understanding of the fact that God had been pursuing me for a long time. He'd always been there. He'd been providing people over my life constantly in and around me. He was very gently and carefully showing me his fingerprints at work and almost reminding me that with every breath, Yahweh, I've been this fingerprint. And in that space that you start to realise that that name of God that pursues you time and time again is super powerful. Right, so you fast forward. I've completely changed, transformed, ended up playing golf full time, right? Because no gang bangers I knew played golf, so I thought it was a pretty safe environment. And my mum had remarried a white guy and who actually was a really top bloke. And the guy decided that, hey, poor Nutty's stuck, you know, doing nothing. So I'll take him out and play golf. So we go out and play golf and I got really hooked on it. It was amazing. So I started playing golf full time, did an apprenticeship as a pro golfer, got sponsored, lost my sponsorship, missed out on the Aussie Open by a shot and went to church that night broken again, thinking, oh my goodness, my whole life direction has changed. This is ridiculous. I've just lost my sponsorship. What am I going to do? And the pastor of the church I was at gets up and he says, um, Hey, we've closed our internship, but I believe there is someone here that needs to step in and do this internship. And if that's you, uh, come and see us tonight. My, my heart was pounding in my chest, right? I'm thinking, I don't want to go and work at a church. That's the lamest thing ever. I wanted to play golf. And then, but my heart was going like a million miles an hour. I was like, okay, God, if this is really for me, make it totally obvious. And I couldn't shake the feeling that's what he wanted. But I couldn't make myself go and see the church or the pastor. So I left it. I was completely disobedient. I walked away. Next morning, I'm sitting at breakfast on my steps. Morning like this, like this morning. Sun's out. Sitting on the steps eating cereal. And this guy rides up my driveway on his push bike. He's wearing the high-vis vest, you know, the flag with the bat. I'm like, what is this guy doing? He takes off the helmet. I realise it's the pastor in the church. I'm like, oh, wow. And it was quite a big church, right? Like 2,000 people there. I thought to myself, there's no way he would know who I am. I'd never had a conversation with him. Gets off his bike and he says, Noddy, this morning during my quiet time, 
God just told me that I have to come and give you this. And he reaches into his bag and pulls out the internship papers and he hands them to me. And I was like, oh, okay, God, I think that's pretty obvious. <laughs> so I sign up, do the internship. Nine months later, they uh, stop the internship. It's supposed to go for two years. And the church said, instead of um, doing this internship, we want to employ you and we want to pay for you to go to Bible college. And I was like, wow. So that was crazy. So I did that, become his pastor, um, and I was speaking at these live Alpha events. And, um, you know, Alpha, have you got, do you know, know what Alpha is? Yeah, so Alpha is this really cool program. Anyway, they had the headquarters in the church that I was in. Um, so they were getting to come and speak on some of these talks. And I was talking one day, and this lady was there, and she comes up at the end of me, and I, I shared snippets of this story, you know, and she comes up at the end, and she says, hey, Nobby, I... I'd really like you to meet my family. Like, my brother is coming over from New Zealand, similar background, he's been in games. I, I'd really like you to, to chat to him. And I was like, yeah, cool, I'm happy to do that. She goes, so, what do we do? I said, well, listen, it's, it's all a bit weird if you kind of, like, bring him here or I come in and meet him in no context. I said, I'm actually speaking at church on Sunday. Why don't you bring him along? And then after the service, we can grab a coffee in the cafe and we can chat. And she said, oh, that's great. So anyway, I'm about to be speaking and standing there and there was this side of stage and I've just got my eye on, you know, who's coming in the door and just seeing and my wife, who's an amazing worship leader, she was about to be on worship, so she's standing there as well, ready to go onto stage and all of a sudden I see, her name's Denise, I see Denise walk in. I'm like, oh cool, she's here. And then I see all these kids walking after her and I'm like, oh, I didn't know she had kids, she had like four of them coming through. And then um, I see this guy come through and I'm like, oh, it must be her brother. And, and, you know, the church had, like, these big, big double doors at the very back. And all of a sudden, this enormous individual fills a doorway at the back. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And as he stepped kind of out of the doorway and into the light, light hits his face, and I realised it was John living again. And I'm like, what the? And I grab my wife. I say to her, hey, 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 you know my testimony about John, you know, guardian angel, massive guy? And I'm like, that's him. She's like, he's enormous. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> So anyway, she comes out and she's worship leading and I'm like, got an eye on there and then I get up and I'm time to speak and as I start to, to approach, I, I, I reckon I've gotten about two minutes in and John gets up and he walks straight out the door. I'm like, oh, psych. Anyway, I'm like, oh, well, I'll, I'll chase him later. So the service finishes, everything comes out and I walk out and he's actually out with one of his kids in this playground and, uh, and I, I go out with a coffee and I go out and try and catch him and I'm wearing sunglasses and... He's like, not even chatting to me. I, I, I walk out and I'm like, hey, you know, um, how you doing type thing? You, you guys new here? And not even looking at me. And all of a sudden, I take off my sunglasses to clean them. And as I look back up, he turns around and he faces me and he actually sees me for the first time. And he's like, holy, insert appropriate, explain <laughs> Naughty, what are you doing here? And I'm like, well, I've got to ask you the same thing. He goes, oh, my wife. Yeah, she's been going to this thing, she heard this speaker, and, uh, and all of a sudden she's exploring these things of God, and he stopped and he goes, it was you. She was listening to you. And I was like, is your wife Denise? He goes, yeah. I'm like, yeah, sorry, man. He's like, crazy. Anyway, so I said, hey, come back to our house for lunch. So him and Denise and the kids and, and Denise's brother, they all pile back to our house for lunch. We have this almighty conversation where we start reminiscing and catching up and sharing stories of what's happened and where he's gone, where he's been, and you know, he tells me tragic stories about you know cousins and nephews and then sons that have all passed away, and then he 
got out of the game, tried to get them all out because he didn't want to see them continue down this track. He wanted to break the cycle of regeneration. Next week, he rocks up again, comes back to my house for lunch. We continue these conversations. Week after, week after, week after. About seven weeks go by. We're sitting at my dining room table, and it's kind of a bit of a habit now. We're sitting there, we're sort of having these intense God conversations, and he'd been asking me all these questions. And all of a sudden, he looks at me and he goes, All right, I'm ready. I'm like, John, ready for what? He said, I'm ready for Jesus. And I was like, What? He goes, You've answered my questions, I'm ready. Just take me there. So I prayed for him and he gave his life to Jesus and we're all sitting there crying and I'm telling him how I talk about him as being my guardian angel that, that you know in my life and he's like in the angel mind. So I baptized him, his wife and three of his kids. And it was an incredible moment. And this is my point that I'm leaving it right now. You don't know. You don't know the picture of what your life is going to be. You just don't. You don't know where it's going to land. You don't know what's going to happen. But I want to tell you that God who pursues you, that he's giving you breath, and hears you call his name every time you breathe, who has your name on his lips, he can. From his position in heaven, he knows exactly where your life is tracking. He is that lion that is chasing you, that is pursuing you. He knows exactly where you are, just where you're at, just the right time. And all he asks you to do is look for his fingerprints. Look for them across every moment. Look for them across your life. Look for them across your friends. And realize that he is at work. Because when he brings all those pieces together, man, it is sweet. It is good. It is a moment of beauty that helps you understand that your identity is in him. That he knows your name. That he has an intimate plan for you. And it's one that actually is amazing.